This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. On 2NURFM 103.7, we're talking travel. Sally Lucas, the great big continent down under, and that is down under from us. Exactly. It's not us, actually. It's it's the, what do we call it? The windiest, coldest, driest continent on Earth. Windiest, coldest and driest. driest. There you go. Antarctica. Um, very close to my heart, as you know, Jane. Uh, you know, my memories of Christmas there coming four years ago are still very, very vivid. And um, I would go back tomorrow. So I just thought I'd talk about a particular um, expedition vessel, which is similar to what I did on an expedition vessel. And um, this is me seeing, saying this, but I still firmly believe it should only be those sort of vessels that go down there, not large cruise liners. I really do. Um, to limit the impact on the area because you've only got, of course, a small group of people on these expedition vessels. And it is a very fragile area. Extremely fragile. Like There are small patches of lichen, like only a couple of inches big, and we were told that takes as long as a rainforest to grow. That's amazing. So you're not allowed to step on it. You know, you, you get all these wonderful botanists, naturalists and people on board who are giving you such wonderful advice, plus you're learning all the time about the wildlife and the bird life, etc. Anyway, this particular one is to celebrate our involvement with Antarctica, Australia's involvement, that is, not, not mine. <laughs> um, and, of course, we've had incredible acts of endurance and courage and heroism uh, over the years with uh, exploration and adventures such as Mawson and Hurley and... Etc. Etc. So, the, we are having actually uh, this journey is in March, and it's with Peregrine Adventures. And on board, there's a lady called Di Patterson, who is the first woman appointed to lead an overwintering team in the Antarctic. So that's quite fantastic. I didn't even realise that myself till I read this. Um, and she has is still involved in Antarctic research as well. And uh, Ray McMahon, and apparently he did an incredible um, traversal of over 1,700 kilometres of this wilderness by dog sled some years ago as well and he is and he's received antarctic service medals and had a mountain named after him and so these are some quite famous people and john gillies has also worked at mawson so they're they're going to be giving you presentations on board etc and again you go out of ushuaia which is right down the bottom of argentina and it's a 10-night cruise to the antarctic peninsula and as i said it's it's some of the most pristine beautiful scenery you'll ever experience in your lifetime so if it's on your list of even maybes i'd put it right at the top and and do it so this is march next year um there i did check there are still some vacancies on it um no triples left i believe but there are twin vacancies available so if anyone is interested in doing that it would be an absolutely wonderful experience and i think too because we just said a minute ago the fragility of these areas including the arctic you know i was only reading in the last week in the paper somewhere where the northwest passages opened up and, I mean, the ice up there is melting at a much faster rate of knots than it is in the Antarctic, though. And this is why they're worried about the polar bears and they could become extinct because they won't be able to get from one ice flow to another to get their food and so on. So we are talking fragile, and I think if you want to see either of those areas, do it. Before it's too late. Ab- absolutely before it's too late. Mm. Well, and from the Antarctic. Something totally different. This is a bit obscure to go from one to the other like this. But, but we're still staying with nature, aren't we? We are. We're talking about Kokoda. 
Now, I think that stays in lots of people's minds as well, whether they've had relatives who endured it or they've just read about it. And, of course, there's many books, many very well-written books on Kokoda. But this is run um, by a company called No Roads. No <laughs> and Roads. And it's, it's oh. a short Kokoda trek. And the cost of this is $1,500. And basically what they're doing on this is taking you on part of the trek. So a lot of people, you know, due to age or whatever it may be, may not be able to cope with doing that. It's a gruelling trek, a it's, very gruelling trek. There's a lot to it, I think. Yes, mm. and, and that takes you, though, to the most impar- important parts of the trek, which I think is what everyone would want to do, to see those sites that have been, I guess, etched in our memories. Um, and, and, I mean, you, when you think about it, it was the, the, some of the fiercest fighting of that period, and they held off, you know, the Japanese for such a long time with very little resources. They were amazing men, and in the most dreadful conditions but I think just to be able to go there and and get a feel and I thought well this is a nice way to do it it's a seven-day itinerary you fly into Moresby and onto Kokoda and you go to um, the battlefield that was well known there Isurava and you do a few days in that area including an outrigger trip and you meet village people and so on and you do parts of the trek and you stay in the villages and there's a couple of camping outs as well but I thought that would be just a wonderful thing to do and that would be close to a lot of people's hearts I'm sure. And uh, a lot of historical memories. Very historical. Brought back from World War II. Exactly. We're talking travel, and it's 2NURFM 103.7. You're listening to us on and Sally Lucas. We're off to another exciting destination, India. India, a very yeah. colourful destination as well. They, they love their fairs. Um, there's fairs just about every month of the year, a fair or a festival celebrating something. Um, and they have the most beautiful clothes. As anyone's seen an Indian woman, and the saris are just gorgeous and very feminine. And the men have wonderful clothes oh, they, too, don't they? they, they? Do. Yes, I can't keep too. them out of it. They have colourful turbans and yeah. all sorts of things and wonderful nice long jackets. shirts and jackets yeah. over their, their trousers or skirts sometimes, as it may, may be. But I'll just, I was talking to just one of the girls in the office who'd just come back from India and this is why I thought I'd just have a chat about it today because she was just she enjoyed so... Herself? She enjoyed herself. And um, she was only there for a week so it was a very quick flit. Mm. Um, and obviously you'd, you'd go for longer than that I think if you were planning to go to India. But you know, when you're going from a work point of view, sometimes it has to be brief. So, but she was just saying that you know she was saying all these palaces and so on because mainly in Rajasthan, which they call classical India, and I think because of that or why it's called that is it's where all these beautiful buildings are, where your rajas and your princes and everything lived. So you've got this conglomeration spread out over the state of Rajasthan, where you can visit these wonderful forts and stay in these beautiful palaces. You know, she said you feel a little bit in awe. They're just immense, you know, and marble and, you know, the, the style they lived in in that era. Um, but at least they're using them, which is a good thing, you yes. know, and making use of them as hotels, which is a nice thing to do. Nice for us. And uh, the shopping, she said, was just the best. Like, she's been to Vietnam, like a lots of, lots of other places in Asia and Thailand. She said she'd never seen such wonderful cheap shopping. It was absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, and, but yes, you know, to see the Taj Mahal, you know, to go to all these places, places you read about, like Jodhpur, which is where we got our Jodhpurs from, of course. Yes. That's, that's what they wore, that style of clothing, which was a, accepted and adaptable for us to use as well in horse riding. Um, and you go to Udipur and it's just all these areas, when you look at the photos, they just look stunning. Like there's a lake palace in Udipur where here's this wonderful palace that was built in the middle of the lake. 
So you've got a building sitting in the middle of the lake surrounded by, you know, water and you can it's actually stay. <laughs> yes. I mean, and as I said, you've got, um, the Pushkar is in Rajasthan as well and they have the camel fair there every year. And, they're, and that is absolutely fantastic to go to Pushkar for the camel fair. I mean, we're only talking about one state in India. I mean, it's a big country. Um, and there's a lot to happen down south as well because you've got the Goanese on the coast and, the, and they've got some quite lovely coastal and beach areas right down the bottom at Kerala. Then you can go way up the top to Kashmir and Ladakh, which is where you're bordering on the the um, Himalayan mountain range, you know. So you're getting just as wonderful mountain scenery there as you would get in Nepal. So India is very versatile. You know, you've got from deserts, you've got your Bengal tigers and your Asian elephants, and you know, you've got your wildlife. They've got national parks, they've got coastal. You know, you've got mountains, so it's a very diverse country and a very colourful country. And as I said, you can guarantee there's going to be a fair on just about any time you go. So from that point of view, you're always going to see a lot of colour. Sounds great. Now, Maldives. I just sort of quickly mention this, Jay, Maldives. It's um, a new... Maldives. Maldives, I think they call them, most people these days. Um, There's a company in Australia, apparently, who's partnering up with a resort to offer a range of surfing options. Um, in the Maldives and it's always been known they have a surf break but of course they're all surrounded by reefs most of the Maldives islands which means you're more like coral caves so you've got to be taken out usually by boat or towed out or whatever so the fact that they can have this organised for you without having to get there and trying to organise it yourself Um, and it's a four day course and it's um, Anantara which is only a short boat ride uh, apparently and it's um, they consider some of the best quality waves in the Maldives. So a lot of people are looking for different surfing options and people have always gone to Indonesia a lot for their surfing. But now maybe think of the Maldives, a beautiful part of the world. You fly via Singapore to get there and you fly into Malay and from Malay it's a real archipelago of little coral caves and islands. You'll be transferred then by boat to the island and your resort. But I thought that's really interesting now that you know you can do this and they have actual coaching workshops and they take videos of you to show you, you know, how your surfing's going and all that sort of thing. So I thought that's very innovative and I thought, well, why not give it a mention? <laughs> and we'll be talking travel again next week. Thank you, Sally Lucas. Thank you, on 2NURFM 103.7.